Recorded live by the woman who goes through more podcast co-hosts than I do underwear in a year. Ew, that's kind of gross, actually. My name is Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday. And my pronouns are he, him, his. Because Amy still has some mythical hold over me, I'm still doing these announcements pro bono for the coolest student who ever attended Bemidji State University. It's Transformation Thursday now, hosted by Amy Stevens, because she can't ditch herself, can she? Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. My name is Amy Stevens. My pronouns are she, her, and of course with us is Rachel Barnard again, who's making her third appearance on our lovely little podcast. Thank you so much for coming back on, Rachel. Hi, Amy. It's so great to be here. I was so excited to get your invitation. Oh, shucks. I appreciate that. So, But we were talking before we got rolling here, um, your master's thesis so many years ago on the digital divide. And lo and behold, March 2020 comes around and what happens? Sure. Yeah. I actually had just completed my master's degree program at Syracuse in and focused on the digital divide. And my my paper really focused on practical solutions and some of the barriers to implementing those solutions from cost to public buy-in to political feasibility to administrative feasibility. And obviously when the pandemic hit, it exposed so many problems with our uh, internet infrastructure And the problems are different depending on where you live. In rural parts of Monroe County, there are places that actually don't have internet connections. Like they don't have the wiring. They they don't have the Wi-Fi. Um, Satellite is hit or miss. And so that's one problem that we see in rural areas in Monroe County and across the country. And then- Real quick, in the rural areas you're talking about, it was like the, you know, Caledonia areas, like what areas? Yeah, I mean, and but even in Monroe County, there are pockets, say, out in like Rush, uh, okay. Wheatland, there are pockets that really don't have good capabilities to connect to the internet. So, and they have li- more limited options. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. I was just going to say, I never thought of those areas really. I always thought of more of that as more of a city issue. Right. But the city issue is different because the city is wired for the internet. Anywhere you live in the city, you can get the internet. The problem there is it's expensive. Even, even paying $30 a month it can be a lot for a family experiencing low income. And these programs to subsidize cost of internet, even today, even programs rolled out in the pandemic, there's not high uptake because people either don't know about it, don't know how to sign up. There's a lot of bureaucratic red tape, or there are rules that prevent people from taking part. So this is the problem that we have to solve. Unfortunately, the county legislator, Monroe County, of the work that I did, did form a broadband task force, and those results should be out very shortly. An actual recommendation from consultants who really know what they're doing about concrete steps that we can take in the future to, to bridge the digital divide. It's a complicated problem. It's, it's not like flipping on a switch, particularly in more urban areas. It's not like you can flip on a switch, turn on the internet and you've solved the problem because what if people don't have a computer? What if they don't know how to use the internet? What if they don't know the benefits or don't really see 
this helps them if they're struggling to, for example, pay their rent. So literacy is extremely important. A lot that needs to be done on this issue. Uh, And so I'm so excited. I think we're on the cusp of some really interesting proposals. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people realize how devastating that digital divide is for learning in during the pandemic because I worked over at Evelyn Brandon for the last six months on Lake Ave here in Rochester and that's the poorest of the poor and a lot of my clients would they're like I wasn't able to keep up have my kids keep up with schoolwork because I only had a cell phone and it wasn't a very good one the hotspot was unreliable and so was that a lot of the feedback you got from your constituents and people around the city? Yeah. Feedback that I got was that there was just, a, there were a lot of different agencies, including the library, even Action for a Better Community. Like everyone was trying to solve the problem with hotspots and doing a fairly good job with these devices. But those are, te- that's a temporary fix. It's not a permanent fix to this problem. You're not going to hotspot your way out of this, this issue. You really need a permanent solution for families. And hotspots, remember, sometimes have data caps. They can be really slow. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the best solution. I mean, well, anyone who's tethered to their phones knows, yeah. <laughs> uh, who has experienced um, doing the tethering, you know, knows it's not, it's not the best. And once you start talking about the rural areas, if you don't have a reliable internet there anyway, the hotspot's useless anyway. So again, the rural area, it's a different issue. I mean, and in the city, what we discovered was the city school district was handing out hotspots that had data caps and those were fine pre-pandemic, but as soon as the pandemic hit, rooms with data caps. So a big issue. So yeah, I mean, this is uh, it's not as simple. It's not as simple as sometimes, you know, we want to make it out to be. Did you know that most social media and podcast platforms do not monetize queer content and that it takes money and time to host, edit, and market a podcast? In an effort to not rely on advertising internet search giants and huge social media platforms who rule the metaverse, We're taking our pitch directly to you, the listener of Transformation Thursday. In an effort to get Transformation Thursday out to those interested in the greater queer community of Rochester, New York, and the Finger Lakes, head over to TransformationThursday.com, where you will find podcasts' Patreon page to financially support Transformation Thursday. Patreon levels start at a dollar a month, and that is one dollar a month to help get Transformation Thursday out to those interested in the queer community of Rochester and the Finger Lakes. Direct your favorite browser to TransformationThursday.com and become a Patreon today. Talk data forever, but that'll be, but you, you're really in the mix of something, you know, there's a big redistricting brouhaha going on right now in the, in the county and you're in the middle of that. So sure. Well, I'm so glad you asked me about this. It is not the most sexy topic. It's one of the most important things that legislators can do this cycle, which is redistricting. Every 10 years, we all take the census. And one of the ways that the census data is used, in fact, the major way, is to apportion legislative lines from city council, town boards, all the way up to congressional seats in jurisdictions around the country. And that includes the Monroe County Legislature. And the principle is one person, one vote make sure that each of the districts are equal. 
because over time, you know, people move around, you know, populations shift and they change. So most of this year, the in Monroe negotiations over the redistricting were at an impasse. In Monroe County, it's up to the legislature to draw the lines. Now, that is not ideal, right? Uh, politicians picking their voters and rigging elections, you know, we kind of find it distasteful in many ways for politicians to rig lines. But that's that's our job. The, the An independent redistricting commission, which would have been made up of community members, uh, but that was voted down. That proposal was voted down twice. I voted for it, but it did not pass. So it's up to us to do it, the 29 legislators that we have. And the good news is we have a pretty even split. The Republican caucus has 15 people. The Democratic caucus has 14 people. We have a Democratic county executive who can veto. That theoretically should do the push and pull if you lean into the partisanship to get a good compromise. Each side really dukes it out and fights for what they want. And you should get a decent map. The problem is that negotiations weren't going very well. In fact, we're sort of at an impasse for most of this year. And then I really pushed us to get back to the table with a new team, get back to the table and really see if we could figure this out. And so we did. And one of so there was three Democrats, uh, several Republicans, and we sat down and we really talked about what we wanted. And it wasn't gross. It was very much focused on competitiveness, owns neighborhoods, and the big thing, which I brought up along with President Lamar was, okay, what are we going to do about minority voters? Under the law, so you do the one person, one vote. That's like the first thing that you do. And the second thing that you do is you ask about voting rights. So federal law comes first and federal law says under the Voting Rights Act, you have to draw a majority minority district if it meets certain conditions. Mm-hmm. And when we say majority minority, we mean they, they look at each race separately. They assess each race separately. And so in Rochester, the largest minority group is black people. And you can really easily draw five black majority districts that do meet the conditions the way I interpret it and the way many other people interpret it that meet the conditions under which the Voting Rights Act says you got to draw the districts. And some of those conditions include things like racial voting patterns. So white people vote one way, black people vote another way. It's kind of strong in the city of Rochester. And it's not just one election. You have to look at many elections together. It's like the, the big picture. Another one is they have to kind of live close together. It has to be a large enough group and compact enough to draw these districts. Again, we could do five. And then you look at like nine other things. One is not more important than the other, but it essentially is the totality of circumstances that really takes into account discrimination, the history of discrimination and also present discrimination. One need only read the Rays Commission report to see that the crescent area of the city where these five districts would go experienced tremendous institutional discrimination and still does. So when you say crescent, oh, sorry. So when you say crescent area, just just for people to make sure, are we talking like the 14621 group wrapping around the west side to like the 19th? Yeah. Board? So if you plot poverty in the city, if you plot home ownership, I mean, pretty much so many different metrics. Yep. If you were to plot on a map, you would see a crescent pattern that goes roughly from my neighborhood, Beachwood, the western part of my neighborhood, all the way down to the 19th ward. Oh. 
an area that has experienced redlining, tremendous disinvestment. And it just so happens you can draw five majority black districts because of these patterns of segregation. You can draw those districts. And the way that it's act works is if you can draw them, you kind of have to draw them. Now, look, big caveat here. There's no like rule that says exactly what you have to do. It's more art than science. It's like every lawyer could sit down and interpret the law a little differently, but a good rule of thumb when you're drawing maps is why don't you draw one that can withstand legal scrutiny (laughs) uh, so you don't get sued. And so anyway, we agreed to draw the five districts and we drew the five districts and some changes. It did mean some changes. And I was really proud of the result. I liked it a lot. I thought that it really, for the first time is, and by the way, five black districts is proportional to the Monroe County population. And I thought, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a draft. It, It needed some tweaks, but I thought it was a really good start. And so we agreed, each side agreed, let's take it back to our people and get some feedback. Well, the, the Democratic caucus, which I'm a member of, didn't like the map at all. I uh, was really upset about the map <laughs> and to counter, to go back to the table with a totally different proposal that only had three black districts. And I had a real problem with that because we agreed to five and the three was definitely, in my opinion, illegal vote dilution. Negotiations broke down. The GOP introduced the five district map. I'm supporting it. Um, And the Democrats won't come back to the table. I believe it's our job to take this over the finish line. I think the five districts is where we need to be. And I think that everyone should come back to the table and make the map better and get it over the line. We have to run for re-election next year. We don't have, we're out of time. And mm-hmm. if we decide to, if Adam Bellow, the county executive, this map will pass. It has the votes to pass, particularly with my vote. It has the votes to pass. But if Adam Bellow decides to veto it, if it falls short of 20 votes, then, you know, we are going to court. Uh, Black plaintiffs will sue for the five districts. And at this point, I think that statements from the Democratic caucus are such that discriminatory intent will be a huge part of the court hearing. And I just think this is destructive. Democrats, this is destructive. Why do we want to be on the side of arguing against Black districts? This is a bad look. It's bad politics. It's bad. Now, the caucus, I know I'm talking a lot. I'll, give, I'll stop talking in just a sec. Uh, the, the caucus is saying they want six majority minority districts in which they add up all the minorities and then have six and six is a bigger number than five. So isn't that better than the five black districts? Well, no, because at least one of those six majority minority districts is a white plurality district that has never elected a minority because black people are shut out of those elections, which is exactly the reason the Voting Rights Act exists. And provision under the law to add up all minorities because they don't all vote together. There's no no reason to do that. And of course, population is very upset about this. They're saying that hurt by the five black majority districts, but the problem is they're not asking for a Latino district. You can't have a Latino district because they can't reach a minority anywhere. I'm sorry, they can't reach a majority, but what they're asking for is to lower black vote totals in at least one district to, to their total so that it, uh, and then, but you do that by adding white voters in. That's what they're asking for. That's wrong. That's illegal. It's wrong. And black voters, it's disenfranchising black voters to create a district that is not legal. Whites plus Hispanics to beat blacks. Like that's, we can't engage in that. So just think pitting groups against each other, 
in this way is uh, really unhealthy. And I think the whole thing is just so harmful. And I'm, dev- I'm, I'm, I'm truly devastated by this debate, but I believe in this. And so I'm working for it. And yeah. uh, it's very complicated. I hope all that made sense. It, it sounds extremely complicated, but what I'm hearing and what I've read on this too is like with, like you said, the plurality is a big issue here. I mean, so if you take that one district and you want to level out black and Hispanic, and then there's also white residents in there, are you going to end up with like more white legislators then? I mean, that's what I would think would happen is because you would have much more political action, I think, from that group. of I don't know. It's just, it seems like a big mess to me. The issue with the majority minority is the law says you need to give the minority class that's protected, in this case, black voters, because they can reach the majority, you need to give them an opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice. At, you can't do that at 30%, but you can at 50 majority. So that's the problem here. And I think, you know, Reverend Myra Brown has put it really succinctly, and we have some videos of, of her on thecrescentmap.com thecrescentmap.com really succinctly in that she has said this is nothing but anti-black anxiety and so having racial confusion speaking in terms of majority minority instead of just talking about black voters been very powerful voice in saying this is really divisive and what what it's really this is really just anti-black racism and i always learn from reverend myra brown and how to talk about these things because it's really hard to talk about race it's so charged white (laughs) and i'm out here you know really advocating for these five districts and so i and and then then you've got other groups you know saying well what about us and so it's really it's a minefield it's a complete and total minefield but i'm confident that we're following the law here and i just hope to get support i'm really going out on a limb i mean i'm pretty alone here in my caucus but i'm not alone in the community i mean robin will the brighton town board supports it there's a lot of people going to come out and support this. So I feel good about where we are in the community, but I also know that we have to desperately raise awareness and we don't have a lot of time, but in my group and in, in my political group, and it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard being alone and within your own group. So, yeah. but you're no stranger to stern, you know, what no. looks like stirring the pot, but I mean, but you're also following the law and, you know, and, and I agree with you on the optics thing that to me, it's, I think it's bad optics for the Democrats to be on the fight, be fighting this. It's like it, this, just from an optics standpoint, this doesn't make sense to me either. So. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. I think they're just hoping people don't care. So I think, I think they're just hoping that this all flies under the radar. I don't think it will. No. I don't think it will. I think it's an explosive issue. I don't think it will, but uh, I'm doing what I can. Um, and, I, you know, I just want to say that uh, someone called me a maverick the other day. I'm like, yeah, I'm outspoken. I'm not afraid to go against the grain. But the fact is, I voted with my caucus, like, probably 90-something percent of the time, if not, like, 99%. It's yeah. rare that I say, no, you know, I really can't do this. Pick your battles because you want to be effective, you know, in government, you pick your battles, you want to be effective, you want to work with people. That means that you really 
probably can't just always disagree and be a contrarian. And I haven't done that, but this is one issue. I just really believe in this. And I think it is the most important thing we can do this cycle. Mrs. Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday, here to remind you what you're listening to is copyrighted material, all rights reserved 2022. But if you want to share an episode on social media and you won't get paid doing so, go for it. You can find Transformation Thursday online by searching for at TransThursPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Apple Podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It's free and does help get Transformation Thursday to a larger audience. Well, you, we brought up the Crescent and you mentioned redlining, but, and I've done some, I did a presentation in one of my classes a year or two ago about that Crescent. Redlining is still a detrimental influence on those zip codes from a violence perspective, from a quality of life perspective, a lower life expectancy in that area all ties back to redlining. So I think it sounds like to me you're trying to correct an historical wrong by making sure that those folks in those areas of the city have the equal representation that they deserve. That's correct. And I mean, that's exactly what it comes down to. Exactly. And uh, I think there's a lot of good in the map and I think it can be improved. You know, I, I do think there will be some amendments coming to clean it up a little bit. I mean, this was the first draft that we submitted, uh, hoping the Democrats will come back. They haven't. So we'll just make some tweaks based on community feedback forward to getting it over the finish line and just hope we can get some support for this. So I appreciate you asking about it. Yeah. Well, one other light topic before we move on, what's going on at the public defender's office? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think the two issues have some similarities and that the legislature simply can't get shit done. Uh, Did I just say that? Oh my goodness. I can cut that out. No, um, you don't have to. It's okay. Okay, okay I'll leave it in then. I, I gave you the option. I gave you the out. Oh, no. I got a little too comfortable in my house. But yeah, uh, so I think there are some similarities because I think we don't look good right now in terms of our ability to function. And there are a lot of reasons for that, which I don't need to go into, but I think both sides are not pure here. On the issue of public defender, there are two final candidates in a process that many people felt was flawed, that I certainly felt was flawed, but ultimately it's a political decision. There is no process prescribed by the charter. The president of the legislature, she came up with a process and it's what was followed. I don't love it, but it is what it is. And it produced two finalists, Julie Siaka, longtime public defender, and Robert Fogg, a man from Western New York that not a lot of us knew a lot about. Sabrina Lamar's position is that as a black man, he position to lead that office. It needs an outsider's perspective and, and the office mostly serves and Brown people. She feels very strongly about this. The problem is Robert Fogg doesn't have a majority of votes. Julie Siaka has a majority of votes on the legislature, a combined group of Democrats and Republicans, a few Republican crossovers is the rules of the legislature do not allow the majority of us to just vote Julie in. The president has enormous power over what comes to the floor. 
And so we tried to, to do a little bit of an end run around that using the rules. We called a special meeting to introduce a resolution for Julie and with the intention of then using our majority to do perhaps another special meeting to vote her in. And President Lamar used the rules to immediately call a meeting of the Public Safety Committee like one minute after our special meeting to introduce Julie. And that meeting, that group held an emergency meeting and, and voted against Julie because the Public Safety Committee does not have the votes for Julie at all. So they effectively killed Julie's nomination. And under the rules of the legislature, when you do that, she can't come back up for a vote. During and this session, right? During this cycle. That's right. Not until so, 2024. Yes. Yeah. So the rules of the legislature need to be reformed. The president does have too much power. And then later on in that same meeting, the president introduced a resolution for Robert Fogg. And I think she might have been thinking, well, Julie's dead now, so maybe more people will vote for Fogg. That didn't happen. Fogg was still voted down, but because the president voted no, procedurally, she preserves her right to keep him alive. Hmm. I was very upset at, at the end of that meeting. And I, I was quoted in a city newspaper saying, look, we all have to take a step back and figure out what to do stalemate is unacceptable. It's making us look bad. And frankly, with the Democrats voting no on their, on even introducing the new five district redistricting map and some of the rhetoric against Robert Fogg, I was very uncomfortable. I thought uh, the Democrats are, are really starting to get a little stink about them, uh, frankly, looking, looking uh, very racist. Whether, uh, and I, I voted for Julie, by the way, he says one consideration uh, I think it's an important consideration. I think Julie candidate. So I voted for Julie. But I also recognize Sabrina Lamar's position. And I recognize the position of many Black people in the community who support Robert Fogg yeah. and who were extremely offended by some of the comments supporting Julie. One comment was Robert Fogg's only qualification is his race. That is offensive. Yep. I was embarrassed. And I disavow that. And I've come to realize that we need a compromise. We need a compromise because we're hurting the community. We're causing damage. We're causing damage to the body. We look bad. And so Sabrina Lamar and I had a conversation about what does a compromise look like? Yeah. And a compromise doesn't mean my side wins and your side doesn't. It usually means people don't get everything they want. So we talked about some options and, you know, all of them are up to her to figure out and come back with something that I think could be help could, that I could support. He's working on that. I don't know what's going to happen. I honestly don't know what will happen, but that's my position right now. My position is it's time to move forward and compromise. And, and again, on redistricting on public defender, we may not like, we may not like the fact that these are just really nakedly political processes that require us sitting down and negotiating and doing things like that. But that's the job. That's the job. And we have to recognize that there are duly elected people on the other side of the aisle. We have to recognize there are people with different opinions. And we have to recognize that the public is expecting us to be adults, act like adults and work together. And I, I'm really trying to see both sides. And so I'm taking that lens and I want to sit down and work this out. Yeah. And, and what, and as we get ready to close out, but you know, these are things that affect our whole community and, you know, redistricting is something that's really important for elected officials, making sure there is equal representation within our legislatures and that they look like the people they represent. 
I mean, and that's what we talked a lot about. But also on that side with the public defender, I I deal with people all day, every day that are in and out of the legal system as my as as a counselor now as an addiction therapist with Rochester Regional. And it is crucial that there is somebody in that PD office who can provide some leadership because I hear it from my clients. It's like, hey, I don't know what's going on there. This office is in flux. And so it this is taking a toll on our community. And so this I hope you guys can work this out soon. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I hope that we can. I'm I'm working on it. The redistricting fiasco has allowed me to really take a step back and evaluate where, where I'm at. Other things as well. I was just really hope that I work hard to fin- to get things over the finish line. That's what I'm here for. And I've just been reminded of that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. One quick personal question. Do you ever like examine your life and say, why couldn't I just be quiet and just go to work? And not be on Twitter and just have a yeah, normal all the, life all the, all the time. I'm I'm actually in a women's group where we talk about these things uh, with with the therapist because yeah. it takes a terrible toll. It takes a terrible toll. About this, the first time you're on, you are for better or worse or whatever it is, but you are the most scrutinized woman <laughs> in Monroe County when it comes to Twitter. Well, yes, I think there's like a hundred people I probably blocked or muted at this point because I really don't see Only? a lot of the nonsense. Well, maybe more. I don't know. I don't see a lot of the stuff that everyone else sees and that it, people apologize for me all the time. But yeah, important outlet, I think. Is it effectively? I think it's an important outlet for me to not only express where I'm, where I'm at, to bring the public along as to what's going on in government, but also I learn so much every day from everyone on there. I learn yeah. so much. It's a wonderful listening tool as well. Under a ton of scrutiny. I mean, listen, I swore on your program and just thought, oh, can't do that, but it's fine. You know, okay. Uh, I usually don't because again, it's like, I just feel like I'm held to a very different standard all the time. Certainly different from men it's held to a really high standard yeah. and I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. Can just try to bring my authentic self and just try every day and invite people to hold me accountable, which they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. And you do listen on there. I do see you interacting even politely with some people that are trying to take shots at you, but yes, yeah, but at some point you do have to block them. It's not even fair anymore. So I mean, my, my threshold for that is if you're excessively tweeting me so that I can't really use the platform or if you are personally attacking me and yeah. It's uh, the personal attack thing, I think, is a big one, right? So Twitter would not be usable for me if I didn't comments. Yeah, nope, that's perfect. Well, let's leave it there for tonight. How does that sound, Rachel? Oh, wonderful. So great to catch up with you, Amy. Um, I can't wait to to share this out. Thank you. I know, and we got to catch up in person again sometime. So yeah, sounds great. Thank you for listening to another wandering yet informative episode of Transformation Thursday. The podcast is produced and hosted by Amy Stevens. A special thank you to Kai Von Doom, Sarah Cannon, and the guys from Be More Media, BMO, and Rory for providing media and consultation services. Until we all assemble again from the land of 10,000 lakes, my name is Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday. Good night, everyone.